Thanks for tuning in to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast, where we talk about your body, how it moves, and empowering you with the knowledge to manage and treat your pain or discomfort. You will also get an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at a successful private practice. You have the questions, and we have the answers. Now let's get moving. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast. I'm your co-host, Allie, and our host, Matt, is here today. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Good to hear from you all. Thanks for tuning in today. We have an exciting episode coming up. Yes. Many of you will probably uh, have, if our previous listeners, loyal listeners, have uh, heard of Dr. Tim Burns before, yeah. and we're going to hit on a topic, I think, that will be very timely and uh, give a lot of information to our listeners out there. You might have kids or you might be thinking about athletes and athletes that are specializing at a very, very young age and just playing one sport mm-hmm. almost continuously throughout the year. And um, Dr. Burns and I kind of dive into some information. I think it'll be really, really helpful and hopefully giving you direct access to the most current information out there on preventing injury and keeping your athletes safe. That's right. So we have Dr. Burns on again. Um, If you want to kind of catch up on some of the past episodes he's been on, he's done a couple of with us Mm -hmm. so far. Yep. And we kind of lead into this topic that we're talking about with kids specializing in one sport rather than multiple sports. And he kind of gives us some good details on what that might cause in your child's body. So why don't we get him on the phone and he will tell us more. Hold tight. Uh, Welcome, Dr. Burns, uh, back to the podcast by popular demand. Um, (laughs) Another return guest. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we kind of gave, we gave away our our episode last time, at least uh, we started talking about it. So for our loyal listeners, they'll kind of know what's coming. But for our new listeners, uh, why don't you tell them a little bit about what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, so, um, you know, for the past couple um, podcasts, we kind of got on this um, uh, trajectory of overuse injuries in, in adult patients and, pop, and pediatric patients, and it kind of spurred this uh, nugget that we were, you know, discussing, well, what about folks or really kids who, you know, are turning into single-sport athletes or, um, you know, a new kind of term that's emerging for these is uh, folks who are doing early sport specialization and what role does that play in some of these, you know, early injuries and um, what are the current concepts, you know, related to that? You know, is it good? Is it bad? Is it indifferent? And, um, you know, that kind of spurred, you know, the idea for, for today's discussion. So we're talking to the athletes who want to become the next Michael Phelps and the next Simone Biles, be in the Olympics one day for one specific sport or not? You know what? Um, I think you just foreshadowed because <laughs> we're going to briefly talk about Simone Biles and some negativities of oh. Especially sports specializations, uh, but absolutely, yeah. I so, had no idea. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the next Simone Biles, the next Tiger Woods, the next Tom Brady. Yeah. Um, you know, the reality is, is most kids are not gonna 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 be that. So we need to think about some things a little bit differently, so kids can stay active and healthy, and you know, unfortunately, hopefully, stay out of our offices would right. be kind of the ideal with this discussion. Right. Yeah. So let's start kind of at the uh, 10,000 foot level and then we'll kind of like drill down. But just kind of globally, um, you know, what are your initial thoughts when you hear a parent of a, say, 10, 11, 12, 13 year old say, yeah, we're going to get them specialized into name your sport and they're going to be doing select school yeah. Rack, you know, they're doing nine months, 10 months of said activity. Um, initial oh, yeah. thoughts on that. 
Um, so uh, well, the, the, the most common thing I'm seeing is usually I'll, I'll see a kid in the office, you know, to use something we chat about in our last discussion, let's say a kid's coming in for Seavers mm-hmm. apophysitis and it's at the beginning of baseball season and I find out he's been playing spring ball, fall ball, summer ball. He's playing 10 months out of the year, maybe more. He's doing um, uh, showcases, doing, you know, all kinds of stuff. Sure. Um, that that's kind of the way that I'm I'm noticing the kids are specializing as opposed to the parents, you know, asking, you know, input on the specialization process. Yeah. Um, but so t- typically what happens is I'm treating a kid for an overuse sports injury, um, throw her, you know, um, little league elbow, little league shoulder, sievers, and just by drilling down, hey, what are you doing? What's what's causing this? Well, what what does our day to day look like? And um, what what you know, invariably what you notice is kid doing a little bit too much too soon um you know when we're talking about early sports specialization there's some pretty clear-cut definitions and kind of cutoffs and you kind of hit on a bunch of them already matt but you know 12 years old seems to be like an agreed upon you know if if you're specializing before 12 you know that's classified as early um if you're specializing oh go ahead well, I was just going to say that I think that's, um, you know, for, for parents listening um, and even maybe some of our, you know, listeners who have a son or daughter or sibling or whatnot. But I think that's a really good kind of hallmark, you know, benchmark we can give them. Hey, 12 years old, you know, before then they should be playing lots of different things, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm sure you guys can speak to this, too. Um, when I was a kid growing up, you know, I played baseball during baseball season. I played soccer during soccer season. In the right. wintertime, I was going to the gym with my dad playing racquetball. Um, yeah. You know, you're doing just different stuff at different times of the year. And, um, you know, this kind of year-round playing the same sports really wasn't a thing. Now, certainly there was, like, traveling soccer teams and, you know, this and that. But I think it's been emerging over probably the past 10 to 15 years where to Ali's, you know, foreshadowing, you know, uh, it kind of makes sense, you know, on the 10,000 foot level, like I want my kid to be very, very successful at something. The more that they do at that one thing, the more successful they're going to be. Um, and then, you know, so this is how it gets perpetuated and, you know, just they're having a good time. Let's do as much of it as they can. Let's keep going. There's, you know, there's now spring seasons for things, fall seasons. So parents are, you know, getting kids active in these things, thinking they're doing them, a, you know, a good service, setting them up for success. But, what we're learning, you know, as more and more data comes out is, um, you know, early sports specialization, doing too much of one thing can be a little bit problematic for, for kind of a plethora of reasons for these kiddos. Gotcha. Well, I, lo- I love the data. I love that you're sharing that with our listeners. So you mentioned the, the 12-year-old mark, you know. Um, what, what are some other data points that we can share? Um, so if a kid is playing a single sport for more than eight months a year, so eight or more okay. months. So really that's, you know, three quarters of the year um, that's going to classify as, you know, being a specialized athlete. So, you know, it, as a rule of thumb, a kid should have three months off from organized sports per year. You know, it's not sitting at home doing nothing. It's, you know, they have three months to play with their friends and be active, free play, doing sure. things that they're self-selecting. <laughs> kind of like I mentioned, yeah. you know, you know, I didn't play organized racquetball. I go play with my dad for fun, you know, a couple of times a week. Right. Um, a kid should not be practicing during a week more than their age. So a 12 year old should not be practicing or playing really more than 12 hours a week. Um, a kid should have at least a day off a week from organized sports. And if a kid is doing sports, you know, eight months out of the year, you should try and time a month off 
at the end of each season so kids have time to recuperate, recover, and these kinds of things. And I think there's multiple ways you can go about getting kids the, the, the rest in between, but mm-hmm. those are those are just some kind of rules of thumb we can look to to, to try and set these kids up for some success. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, a little bit of planning – um, it seems like, again, I have, I have kids myself in this, you know, age group. And I think that there seems to be this, um, you know, acceleration point come around maybe sixth, seventh grade. And, you know, that's where you kind of start to see it where people want to start to get ready to quote unquote, make the high school team or mm-hmm. get ready for that next big, you know, um, move. And, uh, I think, really if people understand that maybe pumping the brakes a little bit or mixing in some other activities may not only make them healthier, it may actually improve their performance in that sport. Would you agree? 100%. And you hit on a couple interesting topics. I'm not, uh, we'll take kind of the performance side first. There's all kinds of data supporting, you know, kids doing multiple sports, not necessarily at the same time, but you know, if you're a football player, you might benefit from playing soccer in your off season for, you know, different techniques. A soccer player might be a little bit more finesse. They might have a little bit more lateral right. agility. Um, you know, maybe you're a, you know, cheerleader, um, you know, for football season or, or what have you, or competitive cheer, and you want to play basketball because you're going to have maybe more endurance. You're going to have, you know, right. um, different kind of neuromuscular training involved with different sports. Uh, maybe there's different psychosocial aspects. You know, if you're a tennis player playing by yourself, well, that's a pretty stressful situation. How do you how do you interact with a team of people? So maybe you know playing a you know soccer or football where you're getting you know some kind of um, team leadership skills. Some um, you know how do you get, be a good teammate? You know these things benefit you not just from like an um, athletic standpoint, but you know for the rest of your life when you're you know in the workforce working with other people. You know looking sure. at it from the full person development side of things and there's a lot to be gained from learning different skills and in um you know a, applying those to different sports is it true i heard there was <laughs> a that, rumor Allie? i just heard that there was a rumor that the Bengals players also do ballet on their off season to keep their muscles and their legs really tight do you think that's true or do you know if that's true? Uh, you know, I do not know if that's true, but I think Ocho we'll Cinco was on Dancing on with here. the Stars, so that's <laughs> a definite possibility. Well, see? It's a definite possibility. Well, I think there's countless examples, I mean, um, you know, of professional athletes who maybe um, played several sports growing up or played a different sport in college and late at a late point switched over to the sport they end up being a professional athlete in. So I think that's good, you know, just anecdotal evidence of, you know, to your point, you know, you can actually uh, acquire other skills by moving around into different sports. Yeah. Um, so in terms of from the professional side of things, just from a performance, uh, I did a little bit of research last night, just kind of in some prep work. And um, specifically, I wanted to see some things about uh, Tom Brady, because everybody kind of talks about Tiger Woods in terms of early sports specialization. And there's some yeah. suggestion that like Tiger Woods is one of the reasons people specialize, you know, I, I'm sure you guys remember in the you know mid nineties, you know, the, all the articles about Tiger. I mean, he's 21. He's the greatest sure. golfer in history. And, you know, the stories about Tiger at two years old, having a putter in his hand and, you know, getting his golf swing down and, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, people having this idea, well, okay, if I work for Tiger, this must be the thing. Um, 
I found out so Tiger Woods and Tom Brady are basically the same age. Okay. Uh, oh, Tiger Woods is essentially you know retired. I know he had a pretty decent comeback, but he's not the same golfer he was 20 years ago. We all know Tom Brady is still winning Super Bowls and <laughs> sure. playing at a very high level. Um, this is what was really interesting to me is that um, I don't know if you you guys know this or not. I did not know this. Tom Brady was. Um, drafted into the MLB by the Montreal Expos in like 96. Really? So he was an extremely high-level baseball player before he was a high-level. I mean, he didn't really become a very high-level football player until after he was, you know, third or fourth year at Michigan. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought it was just an interesting example of, you know, like we said, an anecdotal example of, For sure. okay, this is a very high-level athlete who has different skill sets, um, and it really paid off. I mean, it's and the exact same age and two totally different, you know, endpoints. Projection, exactly. yeah. Wasn't that the kind of same with Michael Jordan? Didn't he also play baseball and basketball? Uh, he he did. No, I think the baseball is a little. I mean, I, I think, I think the baseball career is a little, a little bit <laughs> different than the basketball, basketball career. But yes, yeah, <laughs> I'm just trying to sh- flex my knowledge here on sports, guys. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Now, one thing I, I wanted to briefly bring up, because we briefly mentioned, you know, Simone um, Biles from like a gymnastic standpoint, because um, we're 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 kind of hinting, okay, well, with too much of a, a good thing, you can have these overuse injuries and different things, which we've talked a lot about. I think something that doesn't get talked about enough with kids in single sports is the psychological aspects, burnout, yeah, right, um, kind of the stressors these people year. face. It is it's the real deal, and, and I think a lot of us saw what happened to Simone and. Uh, Naomi Osaka is an, another one where, you know, these are two of the best female athletes or best athlete, athletes in general in history and, you know, have had some pretty, pretty serious, you know, burnout issues just from burning the candle at both ends with, mm-hmm. you know, one sport. And I, I think they both had some other things going on from like a media standpoint, but Absolutely. Um, I, I think they're at least decent examples of very high functioning people, um, you know, getting you know, too much stress from doing too much of one thing and the pressures that that can put on a single person. Well, and I think it's interesting. You've, you've probably had, um, you know, similar experiences, but I know I've had patients before. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe the parents are very driven for the Mm -hmm. athlete to be back in their sport and off to the side, or, you know, at some point you end up talking to the athlete and they're kind of like indifferent about getting back or, you know, maybe maybe are looking for that break, you know? So, um, They're more I intense think, about the sport than they're Yeah, I've, I've, and unfortunately, I've, I've seen that that a fair share too. And um, you know, my my thought when I'm in the clinic is, you know, I, I do what's best for the patient, and I'm very sure. clear with them. Hey, if, if we need some time off, I will support you in that. We can get a, you know a coach's note. Um, you know, we do what's best for the patients. We never force somebody back to a sport too soon, whether it's for you know, psychosocial reasons, burnout reasons, or you definitely not from an injury reason, but um, that's kind of how I've practiced. And I think you guys probably do the same where it, the patient comes first and no matter what that is, we give them their support. Right, right. In terms of, um, you know, we mentioned some general guidelines. Are there any like sport um, specific guidelines or sport specific things out there? I know you mentioned, you know, like the length of time throughout the year, but, um, you know, when you start talking about, you know, you, you mentioned baseball, um, you know, if someone is playing spring and they're playing fall, um, you know, are you considering pitch counts staying even throughout the year? Are those fluctuating the longer an athlete participates? Um, you know, things like that to, to consider or advice to give. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the research in, in, in uh, sports specialization is emerging, and, and one issue with that is every sport has their own specific recommendations. So yeah. some of this is still going to be the anecdotal realm based on what we see for other just sports medicine athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, pitch count, so I think of like the, the baseball player. So, you know, year-round baseball player, we want to make sure they're not also the, the, the high school quarterback because they're being, you know, basically want to limit throwing sports. So sure. Um, the interesting thing there is, you know, hypothetically throughout the year, their pitch count would increase because those are, you know, generally age-based. But right. um, I, I think the recommendation would be, um, you know, going by the age-specific pitch counts. If you're if you're not pitching that day, you're not playing catcher, you're not playing center field, you're not playing the sure. other positions that have long throws or consistent throws. Um, and making sense. making those recommendations very specific per the patient, you know, yeah. per, per even even like this, I mean, per their position, you know, a first baseman may be different than a pitcher in terms of year-round baseball. I think that's a great point. I mean, I know we're trying to give good, you know, global recommendations and and things, but you just you can't beat that patient-centered specific advice based on that individual. Um, because it is so unique as far as their their medical history. Their, we're talking about athletes that are growing and developing, and maybe they have hit a growth spurt, maybe they haven't. You know, those sort of things I think all do play a tremendous role in kind of advice. So um, I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, 100%. It, it's, it's interesting because it is so specific. It makes it a little bit challenging at times, but that also, you know, is, is what makes it fun and make, makes my job interesting making yeah. every kind of recommendation specific for specific patients. But, you know, identifying it, and you have to understand some of these sports in the sense that I, I can I consider, you know, cheerleading, uh, in particular competitive cheerleading, as like basically the same sport as gymnastics. Now, I know right. the cheer yeah. and gymnastics people might get mad at me for saying that, but um, <laughs> recognizing here comes the hate mail. A, yes. you know, <laughs> an athlete doing high-level cheer, high-level gymnastics, well, it's basically year-round athlete. A quarterback yeah. and a pitcher was basically year-round athlete. Um, you know, recognizing things and giving good recommendations so you can kind of maybe prevent some of these things and, you know, keep kids healthy and, like I said, hopefully keep them out of our offices from an injury prevention side of things. What advice do you give to the to the athlete um, who's maybe a runner, maybe a distance runner, and um, maybe they, you know, are dealing with some stress issues? Maybe Maybe it's not a full-blown stress fracture, but you know, we're trying to get them to shut it down and not to run. Um, but it's maybe, maybe it is that stress relief for the athlete. And, you know, we're talking about stress adding from competing, but obviously there's stress when you're not competing too, or when you're not able to have that outlet. So is there any, um, any advice or perspective you have there? Yeah, for sure. Um, two words, cross training. Actually, that might be one word. Um, <laughs> so don't, don't Google that. <laughs> um, cross training. Um, yeah. I, uh, I'm a huge proponent. Um, so if someone has a lot of, you know, stress injuries, low extremity stress injuries, maybe we switch them over to the pool. Maybe we, you know, get them on a, a treadmill submerged in water. Maybe we switch to actually swimming. Um, yeah. you know, switching to once the stress injury is healed, making some recommendations about, you know, different sports outlets or different things that can be done for exercise. Something that I talk to uh, folks a lot, particularly in the running world, is modifying the running surface. So, you know, where I live up in Cincinnati, people seem to always be running in the middle of the street. 
Um, yeah. Even the, you know, it might be snowing, might be a blizzard outside. They're running in the middle of the street on, on the pavements. And I'm like, okay, well, it's yep. high risk for, you know, getting hit by a car, but also for a, a stress fracture. <laughs> um, so I, I recommend, you know, rubberized track at one of the high schools. I recommend trail running, uh, elliptical bicycling. Um, anything we can do, I mean, very similar to sports specialization. You know, if you're running on the same surface all the time, running the same route all the time, it's it's going to be at the same risk for those, you know, overuse stress injuries. So we can modify that, still get the heart rate up, but do other things. You can maintain your cardiovascular training, but then decrease your risk significantly for these overuse injuries. Yeah, I was trying to think of a different sport for a runner that doesn't involve running, and I couldn't think of one until you said the pool. So that's actually swimming. So that's actually like a really good idea because the water will take the weight basically off of their legs, even though they're kicking through the water. It's different than the, you know, re- repercussion of running. Yeah, and sure. sprinting in the shallow end of a pool is no joke. I mean, that will, yeah, uh, <laughs> that will burn some calories for sure. Yeah, and one of the one of the things that we like to do, um, you know, in the office, and we've offered these to people in a preventative aspect is, um, and you're probably familiar with them, but functional movement screenings, where we're actually looking at a number of different criteria and how the athlete moves, which gives us kind of an index or an idea about their overall uh, flexibility, overall coordination, over, overall, Strength. you know, just yeah, core strength yeah. and has tremendous impact as far as maybe, you know, advising them in some things to do off season mm-hmm. or areas to target. Um, and I think that's a, we've, I've used that with a lot of different runners who maybe, you know, are extremely distraught. They can't run, you know, we put them through an FMS test or functional movement screen. We're able to identify four or five key areas that, you know, they, because in my mind, runners a lot of times are very detail oriented athletes and, very disciplined, you know, they need something to work on. So uh, being able to identify those, hey, you can't run right now, but you can work on X, Y, and Z in order to help you run better when you can run uh, oftentimes is a good strategy, I think, too. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Um, And you kind of hit on it with, like, you know, high-level neuromuscular training. Um, A lot of these single-sport athletes, you know, don't get that. If you're only doing, you know, certain movements that are associated with being alignment in football, well, you're not yeah, having sure. the neuromuscular training that you need to prevent injuries with other things. So, you know, that's a really good point where, I mean, there's certain people and certain patients who, you know, they just want to do one sport. They want to play soccer 12 months out of the year. And that's fine. Um, but one thing as, as healthcare providers that we need to do then is understand that. And, well, what can we do then to maybe prevent injuries in this patient? Well, that's that's an excellent point, which is, you know, identifying, you know, risk factors, um, you know, yep. like those injury screening clinics and particularly with neuromuscular training, other things outside of their skill set, um, you know, getting them with high level uh, strength conditioning, high level neuromuscular training in a safe way that then can, you know, identify key areas and prevent those injuries. I think that's a really, really great point. Yeah, I mean, I think it's key, even if it's not, you know, if it's not organized sports that they're going to participate in, even just training in a different way. You know, again, back to Allie's point, you know, the the Bengals training ballet. I mean, that's obviously so different, you know, such a different movement, such a different um, recruitment pattern. Uh, I think there's just so much power in that from a prevention and, and training and ultimately from a performance standpoint. So. It's got to look pretty funny, too. <laughs> <laughs> we could get some video of that. That'd be good, huh? I'll, I'll reach out and see who I can get in contact with to get some video footage. 
Well, Dr. Burns, uh, thanks so much. Is there anything else, uh, pearls of wisdom that we haven't yet bestowed upon the listeners? Uh, I think we hit on just about everything, but just to kind of summarize it, I would say, you know, folks who are thinking about, you know, doing one sport year round for some of their kiddos, just understanding that, you know, this does increase risks of overuse injuries, increase your risk of stress fractures, growth blood injuries, which, as we talked about, can really then set you back and, you know, then you can be out of your sport for several months, you know, at a time. Yeah. Um, it increases your risk of burnout, increases, um, you know, the risk of dissatisfaction with the sport and actually quitting the sport early. Uh, so I think as a, just a global recommendation, you know, I would absolutely say consider doing multiple sports, make sure you're taking off at least three months a year, you know, not practicing more than a kid's age. And, um, yeah, I, I think following some of those basic things should you know, go a long way in terms of keeping you know our kids healthy, keeping them active, and keeping them out on the field. Fantastic. And if uh, if folks want to see you in the office, tell them how they can find you. Yeah, I, uh, so uh, I practice at OrthoCincy, uh, sports medicine, non-surgical specialist. I'm at three offices in northern Kentucky um, and happy to see folks really any day of the week. And Dr. Burns also has an Instagram, guys. So we will be posting this and tagging him on Instagram. I have a massive Instagram following. That is true. I'm what they call an, an influencer. Oh, um, oh my yeah. goodness. For about, uh, I for about like uh, two people, but it's all good. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's an that's audience awesome. enough for me. <laughs> well, fantastic. Thanks for get, being our guest again on the podcast. We really appreciate the information. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate you having me as always. It's always a lot of, a lot of fun. And I always learn something. Um, so I, I, as usual, appreciate you guys having me back. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks. All right. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at OxfordPhysicalTherapy.com. And you can also find us on our social media pages like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. Remember, you do not need a doctor's referral to receive physical therapy in the state of Ohio and Kentucky, where we offer double the care for less than half the cost. You can schedule appointments online or stop into any center for a free screen, what we like to call a bee visit. Please write a review, send us a comment or message on our social media platforms. And until next time, keep it moving.